Asia Tech Podcast with Graham Brown and Michael Waits. Hi, Florian. This is Michael Waits with ATP Stories. I am talking to Florian Cornu. Florian is the founder and the CEO of Future Flow, but that's just the end of what he's doing. The beginning is also interesting. Um, how are you, Florian? Very good. Thank you for, for the interview. It's my uh, pleasure. Man. I want to make sure that we get into some specific ranting topics because I love the passion that you have when you're talking about things that matter. Good, <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it, it said that some French people love to rant. So I'm not living in France for 10 years, but there is still this part of me which seems to be alive as for the past five minutes we have been ranting on a few topics already. <laughs> so should we, do you want to start with Bluetooth? Do you want to start with podcasts? Where do you want to start? <laughs> Uh, well, <laughs> no, no, podcast, I, I will not trust on podcast. We're doing a podcast right now. I love podcasts. Oh, it no, is, no, don't it, do that. <laughs> <laughs> no, so, I, actually, it's funny, on podcast, a friend was asking me a few weeks ago, uh, which podcast do I listen to? And I went a bit blank because I had to admit that I was not listening to basically any podcast. Uh, we change afterwards because then I discovered podcast, podcast, and it's actually quite cool. But my point on podcast is that if I'm actually walking, I cannot have some uh, a podcast that I listen to because then I cannot focus Correct. on what I'm working on Correct. or the podcast. So I prefer to listen to music, background music, when I'm walking. And uh, and if I'm not walking, I'm trying to listen to my environment. And so I listen to the to the birds, to the tree, to the na nature around me, or, or to people I'm talking to. So in these two uh, options, there is no space for actual podcast. Well, we're gonna have to we're gonna yeah. have to convince you to make some space for podcasting. But I agree with you actually. When I'm working, I cannot listen to a spoken word. I cannot do it because it's either one thing is entering my brain or another, and not both. So I agree with you. I find it very hard to do that. But what I do do is. When I'm commuting and I ride my Vespa around town or I ride the train, I really just yeah. want to tune out kind of the city noise, and that's when I listen to most of my podcasts and radio shows. But fair enough, yeah. Makes sense. So then, <laughs> then I actually started listening to one podcast because I discovered uh, that uh, the iTunes feature of podcast is actually quite good. It is. I rant about iTunes, but let, let's do this positive for, for the <laughs> podcast. And, and the, I discovered the one by LinkedIn founder Reid Hoffman. Yeah, Reid uh, Hoffman's really good, right? That's the one about scale, right? Exactly. Uh, yeah, but scaling with interviews of amazing people like Sandy, uh, Sandy, uh, Sheryl Sandberg, uh, Mark Zuckerberg, uh, and quite a few other entrepreneurs with amazing concepts. Uh, fantastically edited to make it super fun uh, while listening. So... So, yeah, I listened to this podcast, and it was amazing, I would say. Right, uh, and that's kind of what we're trying to do here. And to be fair, right, you know, if you had spoken to Sheryl Sandberg 10 years ago, mm -hmm. right, at the beginning of her Facebook adventure, you may not have thought she was as amazing as you think today, right? And that's kind of what we're trying to do. We, mm -hmm. we are trying to talk to the people in Asia, in Southeast Asia, mm -hmm. like you, mm -hmm. And the reason why is because if you go back and look what you've built and what you've sold and what you're now giving back, 
You can't. Yeah. T you don't know that you're not going to be. I mean, you won't be Sheryl Sandberg because you're a man, but you may have as much influence as she has in ten years' mm -hmm. time. We want to talk to you about that today. Well, let's see where it goes, and let's check back in ten years. <laughs> <laughs> okay. As long as you promise me two things: one, you'll still talk to me, and two, you'll still be ranting. That's important to me. <laughs> I will still talk to you if you switch to to a web-based uh, chat app. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you got it. I knew you were going to get that in. <laughs> so so, so for, for listeners, we are doing the interview on Skype, uh, and I had to install Skype on my computer for this, for this interview. Thank you. Because I'm not using it for the past three or four years since Google Hangouts is there with an equivalent quality. And you, it's magical. You can just send a link URL and people click the link and they're in the interview with you. Nothing to install. <laughs> but uh, Michael got me to install Skype on my computer because he was adamant that this is a technology he wants to use. Because this is like the early 2000s, as you like to say. <laughs> <laughs> okay, enough ranting. Oh, no, it's, ne it's never enough ranting. So tell me about the early days. You've been in Asia for how long now? Eight, eight years, you said, yeah? Okay, so, yeah, I was born in France, which explains explain the renting attitude. Uh, so, uh, for like 20, 22 years, I grew up in the French Alps. It was beautiful. That is beautiful. And, uh, I, I, and I never really went out of France at the time. Uh, maybe the mountains, like, keep you inside, and you believe there is no world outside of the mountains. But one day I got uh, the chance to travel abroad, and loving it, I decided that I would actually spend the rest of my life outside of France. So I started the, uh, by going to London in the UK, uh, working in asset management, so investing in, uh, in uh, companies. And uh, the approach we were doing to invest in these companies was, while it was a listed equity fund, so not private equity, not venture capital, but uh, listed companies, it was still investing in entrepreneurs. Right. So the approach was to say, even if you're a listed company, you still have an entrepreneur driving it. And so we want to find these great companies, these great entrepreneurs. And we see it now like companies like Amazon, Google, Facebook, that driven by, by the entrepreneur uh, leading them. Uh, so it was fantastic and got me to travel around the world to meet these entrepreneurs and, uh, and uh, do this uh, management. And after a few years, decided that I wanted to be on the other side of the table and that I wanted to start my own company. And deciding that, then I wanted to make sure I would add one more criteria to, to my decision. And instead of doing it in Europe, where I, where I knew European culture uh, quite well, being uh, born there and dedicated there, I decided that I would go start a company on the other side of the globe in Asia. Um, I, I can find some rationale to it um, by saying that I'm by essence Chinese. Uh, that as per my 23andMe DNA test, it says that my ancestors are, are from China 10,000 years ago. Wow! So I, I can say that I'm actually from Asia. And I came home to start a business. <laughs> it seems like a bit of a stretch, but it's a great it's a great story, though. Hey, have you done your DNA test? <laughs> I might. I, I recommend. I, I recommend everyone to do it. And, um, and so I landed in Singapore in late 2010. 
and uh, so it was like seven years ago. Yeah. And the startup ecosystem in Singapore and Southeast Asia was very different at the time. Um, <laughs> I started spending my days in hackerspace. Um, French soul, if you cannot understand what I'm saying, it's because French people don't understand, don't uh, pronounce H. So when I say hackerspace, you have to add the H. I think, I think it's pretty easy to understand, yeah. You were spending time in the hackerspace, which back in 2010 actually was a pretty innovative thing for someone to do, right? Particularly in uh, Singapore. And, and so it was the first hackerspace in Singapore, I believe the first one in Asia. And uh, geeks spending their days programming apps, uh, websites, uh, um, things like that. And it, it was also the only co-working space of the time in Singapore, I believe, or one of the very few, which shows how it changed because now you have like co-working space in every uh, every street. Like there is right there everywhere. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so it was kind of the first co-working space. It was. Um, there were a few people there, including Mang and uh, you Mason, who then went to create JVI, the first accelerator in Singapore and Southeast Asia. And, um, and that's when I, uh, where I went, because while working for Microspace, I was working on different projects, including one which, uh, during a startup weekend, became, became more interesting interesting with, uh, I basically formed, went to a startup weekend one day and pitched an idea of a travel website. Some people that I never met before that were in startup weekend for, to start a project uh, were crazy enough to join the, the idea and we made a prototype during the weekend. We started meeting industry experts during the weekend itself, like one of the co-founders was uh, brave enough to call a journalist on a Saturday saying, hey, we, we're starting this awesome project. Can we talk to you? And the journalist on, on a Saturday say, yeah, for sure. And co-founders <laughs> and tell her, and we're here, so you have to come meet us because we cannot move from this building in which, in which oh, right. we were in the start of weekend. Right. And the journalist came on a Sunday morning to meet us. <laughs> a few kids creating a project, uh, so with less than 24-hour uh, notice, uh, came to advise us on a few few topics, uh, which was pretty awesome. It, uh, it also got us invited in many travel industry conferences in the in the years which will follow. Uh, and I think one of the messages of this is to show that I, I knew nothing about travel before doing this project, and in a few months we got introduced to airlines, uh, CEOs, to online travel agencies, to, uh, to many people in the industry. So once you do a project in an industry, you get to know many people very quickly. You do. Everyone wants to know what you're doing. So what was the difference? When, I mean, I've heard of Flocations, right? And I was actually an investor in another travel company back in back at that time that didn't do nearly as well as, as your team did. But what was the... Did you the... try to compete? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, we did. It was a, di it was a different okay. business model because it was meant to be okay. travel for social, but what you did was very different. You want to explain to people like what the idea was so they can get a, a better understanding for people that yeah. don't know what Flocations was? Yeah, for sure. So the idea came 
uh, I, I don't know you, but when I travel and if I travel for leisure or not uh, for a business meeting with a specific destination, I would actually look at where I am and I would go on uh, Wikipedia to find out uh, where I can fly to from this airport. And uh, I would find the different routes and so the different airlines and then I would uh, find prices, destination, etc. And it's fun to do uh, when you love browsing Wikipedia, which gives you plenty of opportunity to learn plenty of other things on the way and you spend your night learning many things. Uh, procrastination is always good. Uh, but, uh, but the process is also a bit uh, painful. And so the idea was to take this process and make it a one-page website where you, lo- you come on the website. It does not ask you where you're going to fly from. Because if you're in Singapore, you're probably going to fly from Singapore. You're not, not right. going to fly from somewhere else. So, and at the time, many travel websites would actually ask you where you want to fly from. Now I think they finally... Uh, they figured added. it out, right? They know where you are by, your, yeah. you know, by all the other information that you give you, DNS, your, you know, yeah. your IP address, uh, and so it's simple. At the time, like, very few travel websites was actually doing that. Um, and then... the we we show you on a map where you can actually you can go. So uh, we take all the flight data before, and we can draw the map and show you. For example, from Singapore, there was around six, sixty destinations you can go direct. Uh, so we would show you that on a map, and we would highlight a few interesting destinations to go um, in the coming weeks. So the idea was to answer the question: uh, Where the fuck can I go next weekend for five hundred dollars? Right, but so that was it. In, in other words, that was one of the innovations was, first of all, the map. I remember when Flocations came out and I thought, okay, this is really cool because it's got a map on it. And, you know, today we take it for granted that maps are sort of in, in, involved in everything that we do. But back then, that was, what, 2011 or 2012, showing a map for flights actually was really weird and very innovative. But also the idea of, and tell me if I'm wrong here, but also the idea of, you know what, I don't know where I'm going this weekend. But where can I go? Yeah? Exactly. Exactly. So on, um, we will come back to the map in a second. On, on the complex, I think, and in Asia, everyone goes to Bali, to Phuket, like it's super easy, everyone knows it. Um, but there are plenty of other destinations. And, but to go there, you should first know that they are there. And if you go on an airline and you start looking one by one for destination, it's going to take you a long time. And you still have little clue about what these are. Right. So, location was showing you on a map, and the map show, gives you a lot of information. First, it shows you the country, um, because the map basically shows country. <laughs> uh, it shows you if it's close to the sea or in the mountains, inland, etc. just because geography was this way. You see a destination, and you can see in, in a split second, your mind can recognize where it is geographically. So you have this information without having to do anything else. Um, and then uh, you can also estimate how far it is because uh, how, how long the flight will be. Um, so, so it gives you yeah, a lot of information which are interesting. And at the time, there was very little people showing maps on uh, travel websites. Skyscanner was doing it a bit, but Actually, they have a map, but they don't really push it. So few 
people know about it. Um, I would say now, now the Skyscanner map is uh, linked on the homepage, uh, uh, and they improved it a few weeks ago. Now it looks uh, acceptably okay. Uh, and Google Flight is doing a great job at mixing uh, different inspiration uh, aspect of your trip. So yeah, Flocation was basically an inspiration travel website. Right, but that's and that's the innovation. I want to be explicit about this, and that's the thing yeah. I thought back in the day that made it really cool. Because, yeah. you know, plenty of people will say, let's do a road trip, right? That means let's get in our car and drive for three hours and see where we end up. But not so many people considered the fact that they could do that on an airplane as well. And what was really neat, mm-hmm. I thought, and actually I still think, is that because of the location of the airports in Asia in general, but in Southeast Asia specifically, you know, I'm, I'm literally at, f- at 5 o'clock in the morning or 6 o'clock in the morning, I'm 20 minutes from Sawanaboom Airport. And mm-hmm. in Singapore, it's about the same thing. And yeah. when there's no traffic, you know, a lot of these airports are easily accessible. If you're in Japan, Haneda's 20 minutes away. Even Narita's not yeah. that far. And you can yeah. literally do a weekend trip and have it yeah. cost kind of no more or no less than it would to drive somewhere. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and uh, and the prices are very good with the low-cost carriers around. Yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, it's super easy. You can really do getaways. And um, so we were making it easier to find possible getaways. So what else? But so that And that's really interesting, right? And the sort of the innovative idea there still sticks, I think, and still works. But what, yeah. else, what else did you learn, right? You said before you started, you weren't really a travel expert, but you weren't really... A startup expert, yeah. either, right? So, yeah. what did you learn? I, I, like, I can tell you a thousand yeah. things that I've learned in the last five years just building my yeah. own stuff. But I'm curious what you saw. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, uh, what we're on map? Uh, <laughs> it was so. I I love maps. So I'm do kind I. Of map, map geek, and but I discovered. So for me, it was obvious that when you want to travel, like map interface, like should be the way to go. That's right. Why not? If you go somewhere, it is geography, so it is a map. Uh, but I discovered that many people actually don't know how to read maps. Right. And <laughs> for flights, like the, the globe, people kind of know it. But when you deep dive in cities, um, it, it says that only one billion people in the world knows, uh, know how to read maps. So six billion people have no clue how to read a map. Yeah, six out of seven, don't, six out of seven don't know. Yeah, and uh, and we see so in some countries people use more landmark-based direction versus address because it's it's an education thing and uh, only one out of seven people know uh, and that is education to, to know how to read them. <laughs> that was mind-blowing into wow how my education background impacts my way of thinking today and I always love to be reminded of that make sure that uh, I can offset it and find solutions which are understood by even more people. Yeah, really interesting. Yeah. Um, and then other things. Uh, so along the journey, we uh, location, so we started during a startup weekend. Then we joined JBI. We were part of the first boot camp there in 2012, I think. Um, a fantastic experience to mingle with uh, mentors, to get advice, to get uh, credibility, to get uh, connection with investors. Uh, so the next step would be the fundraising. Um, 
So one of the fundraising aspects is probably the time it takes to raise funds. And often I still meet many entrepreneurs who come to me and say, yeah, we'll raise funds, it will probably like, I will be done within three months, etc. Right, right, right. And, and it's never as fast as never. you want it. <laughs> never. I mean, I... <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I was going to say, so I, I give advice to companies that raise funds as well, and I know you do the same thing, and yeah. you know yeah. they'll, they'll come to me in January and say, I want to close this by the end of March, and I'll say, yeah, sure, so do I, but it's not going to happen, you you know, you just don't know, yeah. it, it, you could close it at yeah. the end of January, or you could close it at the end of September, like, you just can't be sure. Yeah, and it's probably more late September than January. Exactly. Uh, yeah, I, I think, so for me, fundraising is about creating a story, creating creating a line. Exactly, uh, creating I, a story. Favorite, favorite article is investors don't invest in dots, but in lines. And that means that when you're going to raise funds, and even now if it's your first fundraising, first time you meet an investor, the, uh, the thinking process in the, in the investor mind will just be, you are a dot. Uh, you tell me whatever you want to do, but in a way, I... I don't, I'm not sure I believe you today. Actually, I believe you bullshit today. So tell me whatever and let's find in one month if what you said was accurate or not. So you need to create this line to see what you did so far, where right. you are, right. a bit what you expect to do. And there I have uh, give some pretty short term, uh, like a few weeks deadline or roadmap. So one month later, you can follow up with an investor and explain that uh, that's how it went. And so you're creating this trust over time. Uh, I would also say that at the seed stage, the due diligence, because there is nothing to due diligence, like you don't really have a team, you don't really have a product, you don't really have revenue. So due diligence is actually a due diligence on you and your team. Yep. So it's, about, it's confirming this line. Hopefully you will get the term sheet faster, but there will still be a few weeks, a few months of due diligence making sure that what you told to get this township proves to be accurate or reasonably accurate. Yeah, so so when you meet these startup founders, right, I'm really curious. You do a lot of work, right? And we can fast forward a little bit to mm-hmm. to flow stuff, right? But I want to talk first about how you met Kei Shibata, what it was like you know, figuring out that somebody actually not just wanted to invest in your company, but somebody wanted to sort of include it in their sort of other group of travel. Because Kay was a pioneer, right, in the travel business, travel.jp, hotels.jp, like he invented this stuff in Japan. He must have seen something in your business that he really liked, right? So, so yeah, back to flocation. And I said we, so from day one, we are basically in contact with industry journalists and yep. uh, et cetera. And so we started attending conferences and meet more and more people. And Kei Shibata, who so the founder of Travel.jp in Japan, uh, one of the leading travel uh, agent, online travel agents there, um, was uh, was attending, and we we met, and uh, we started getting to know each other. And he found what we were doing very interesting, and so he started advising us. Uh, and spending more and more time with us and wanting to be involved. So he started, uh, he, he, he invested in the company uh, uh, along the way, uh, which again shows how you want to do something. You you meet uh, people in the industry and uh, as collaboration increases over time. Yeah, so t- 
tell me a little bit more about this, right? So I, I have this philosophy that you you never get something that you don't ask for, right? And I think that's part of what you did when you went out to those journalists on Startup Weekend where you just said, hey, we're doing this really cool thing. Like, they they may never have found out about you otherwise, but you went out and you asked yeah. for it. They could have said no, right? So here's my theory on yeah. this, is that the world is kind of binary, right? Yeah. Yeah. You're already at zero, so what's your downside for asking? Yeah. Um, completely agree. As long as you're polite and uh, authentic, um, like, uh, ask and see where it goes. Um, then I, I would also believe that you never know where a relationship will end up. Uh, and so it's being the more, uh, as, as authentic as possible, sharing as much as possible, open opportunities that would never have come otherwise. And once you find a potential collaboration, express it so you can get the feedback of the other person. Yeah, I mean, I feel like you and I have had this conversation before, but we haven't. I completely agree with what you're saying. Uh, again, I, I believe strongly that, you know, I share everything that I do because I don't know what's going to come of that potential collaboration, that potential sharing. And I believe, you know, I forget who it was, but someone said once, you know, you can have a hundred ideas a day, but you can't act on all of them. And yeah. it's always better for you to share them rather than to hoard them because, and this is, this happened to me recently, just as an example. Okay. Someone that I haven't spoken to in two years, but someone that I was, you know, very polite to and very nice to and kind of helped them along. And, you know, when they came into town, I, I had dinner with them and talked to them and I wasn't advising them, but I was just, you know, being, you know, being nice really. And then two years later, I get a phone call from someone saying, we'd like to collaborate with you. And I said, how did you get my name? And it was from this person that I hadn't spoken to in two years. And that, that I think, defines what you're talking about, right? I just shared yeah. everything with that person. I didn't expect anything in return. And frankly, yeah. I didn't want anything. But there it was. An opportunity yeah. arose because of that conversation. Completely. Think, yeah, it makes me think of uh, so Buffer, uh, the social media scheduling management software, uh, I guess you, you know Buffer, yeah? Yep, I do. Um, so he's one of the, the example of open uh, open communication, full default to transparency policy. And they share, so every month they share their investor update with everyone, and they, so they share their monthly recurring revenue, uh, they share their burn rate, they share their cash, etc. Right. And uh, the other day I was talking with Joel, Joel Gascon from Buffer, uh, and talking about this updates. And because he's sharing it, I was able to give him feedback and giving some ideas of uh, how it could be uh, improved on the way. And, and like the first thing he said, yeah, that's awesome. And yeah, that's exactly why we're sharing it, because uh, then we get, and we get feedback and we do better. By being open, we open the opportunity for feedback, for collaboration, for opportunities. Yeah. Um, Go ahead, sorry. In the similar, um, there is the founder of Bridgewater, one of the largest asset managers in the world, Ray Dalio, who published a book recently named Principles. Fascinating book where this guy explains some of the policies he's uh, managing his company with, and one is the concept of writing down principles, so principles by which you want to act. And he's saying that he has been doing that uh, for the past 30, 40 years that he has been managing his business. I like that. Uh, 
and and by publishing it, he gets feedback and people can argue on it. Uh, the point is, when you make decision, you should know how what is your rationale to make the decision. And as if you make a decision, you have a risk involved. So better explain your rationale and now people can argue with it and then you can decide if you agree with the argument or not and to make your rationale even stronger so you, you can make more informed decisions. Transparency only make decisions better. Yeah, and if you think about it, and I know you have, right, in, in this day and age where your access to people you know but also people you don't know if the, as long as they're giving you substantive feedback, mm -hmm. your ability to make better decisions actually through a filter should be much more powerful than it could than it could have been ten or fifteen years ago when the only feedback you got was from people that you either knew or were just around you. So proximity is no longer the defining way you can get yeah. feedback in a yeah. lot of different areas, right? Yeah, Com completely. Yeah. So sometimes I kind of draw when, when you're a kid. Your friends are uh, your school friends, so they are defined by by where you were born. And when you grow up, and even more now with uh, social media, technology, etc., uh, your friends and your network become defined by what you want. So you can any center of interest can lead you to connect with whomever, wherever it is in the world. Right. I mean, that's a, that's a great way to put into words this concept I have about proximity, right? In other words, just because it's near you doesn't mean it's right. Um, and yeah. it may be the case that the best ideas come from the furthest people away from you, just distance-wise. And I, I like that concept of when you were, like you said, when you're younger, your friends are defined by where you are. And when you're older, it really defi it's defined by what you think and what you want. Yeah. Very interesting yeah. concept, yeah. actually. And to continue on this uh, transparency and openness, and I would lead to opportunity. And on your what you mentioned, you might have like 100 ideas a day. You cannot execute on everything. So if you believe there are good ideas, you have an incentive to share it so Absolutely. someone else can execute on it. Um, in the sitcom Silicon Valley, there is a, the Huli guy who does the speech by saying, "Yeah." Because I don't want to be in a world made better by people other than by us, we, which is very funny. And I <laughs> think <laughs> when we open and transparent, we make sure we make the world a better place because uh, ideas spread and people who can act on it make them happen, which improves life of uh, some people. Yeah, it, to a certain extent, I'm indifferent as to whether my ideas are executed by me or somebody else. Because if I like that idea and I like the result of the execution, I should just be happy it's out there. Yeah, exactly. And if someone is able to execute better than, uh, than us... Go for it. <laughs> let, let's make sure to do it. And yeah, exactly. We will focus on the ideas we are the best at doing. Yeah, well, and that's the other thing too, right? So if you go back to this concept of you have 100 ideas a day, but you can't act on all of them, you should really act on the ones where, one, you have the most commitment, but two, where you're the most qualified person to do it, and the other 99 or 98, please let the smarter people or the better executing people do it because that that's going to be better for everybody. Yeah, yeah. So that's, uh, I encourage everyone to share their, their ideas. So do I. <laughs> so cool. do I. What? 
what should be our next topic? Well, so now I want to find out. <laughs> and we're, can we rant again? It was so much more interesting when we were ranting as opposed to agreeing. Um, <laughs> but I'm really curious. Once you once you sort of take the entrepreneurial path, right? You build a company. You fund a company. You learn about how to build stuff. You learn about how to manage people. You learn about how to expand to other countries. And then you exit, meaning you sell it to sort of a larger organization or a larger, a larger amalgamation of businesses. What do you yeah. do next, right? Uh-huh. So, um, so it's, uh, in the case of Flocation, uh, the company was acquired at the end by Jay Shibata, so Travel JP Holding Company, Venture Republic, uh, acquired the company. So right. It shows that over, over uh, I think it's over two, three years that we were working with Kay, and he went from an advisor to an investor to acquiring the full business. Um, because it was making sense for him and for the expansion plan of, uh, of his company. Uh, so that was you know, a great uh, relationship built uh, during the period. Um, and what to do next? Well, that's, uh, that's a great question. And <laughs> my, uh, I, I'm pretty much a generalist. Uh, um, I, I worked in finance in the past, then I was can, uh, pretty much working on the product of location. I love uh, ops and HR values of the company, um, and so I di- and I love growing businesses. So I decided that uh, I would help other entrepreneurs to grow their business. Um, so I started doing um, basically advising and consulting other entrepreneurs uh, in the region on uh, different aspects of their business, mostly on ops and finance, like. Taking, making sense of data they have in a business so they can know what's happening and they can make strategic decisions with the most informed decision. Yeah, it's and again, this is another interesting topic for me because one of the things that I've realized over time is that once you hit a point of growth in your company, the mm-hmm. ability to operate, so that operational experience, that operational knowledge then becomes key because the only way you can not just scale, but sustain the scale and still have everything organized properly where it can actually like, just mm-hmm. continue to operate properly. You need this operational experience or you need to learn it really quickly because like, even two businesses in pick travel can grow at the same rate right? and both have the same revenue up until a certain point. Mm-hmm. But the one that is able to manage that growth and understand the procedures and the operations that need to get put in place is the one that's going to succeed. Yeah, completely. Like- Startups uh, are a lot about mess. Initially, you just create something, and yep. you should. Um, there is a never-ending conversation. When do you start to uh, automate or to do big? Pro- At first, you you should do as simple as possible. Just yep. see if it works. Um, but at some point, you know, you will need a process so you can manage thousands, uh, millions of uh, customers' requests or whatever. What is the right point? You never know. Um, but I have a strong feeling that it should be uh, early enough so that you have the information to make the decision you have to, to do. So that's where I come in and, uh, and always trying to adjust to the business themselves to do just the necessary at this time so they have the visibility they need without breaking the mess which makes it work. Right. So how do you, what's the feedback, not the feedback, but what's the sort of response you get from 
the teams that you're advising? In other words, do some of them say like, no, we just need to keep doing what we're doing. It doesn't matter. We will figure that out later. And what's the difference between those teams and the teams that say, you're right. Now that we've created this mess, we've created some forward progress. Now we need to put procedures in place. Like, what is the different? How do you how do you convince them that that's the right thing to do when they're potentially moving really fast? Yeah. Yeah. Well, usually, people managing a business know that they can make the best decision with data. So I I don't know of anyone who says no. I don't want data. I don't want to know what's happening in my business. Don't let's not do that. Everyone wants it. Um, for sure, and, but, but how do you get them to do it? That's a different thing, right? Yeah. And then in the team, so it, it's about really doing the minimum you need at this stage. So you can give, uh, give value as uh, fast as possible. And then the teams love it because we just save them time or we allow them to better contact their customers or to come up with better message insights for the customers so we improve the sales productivity or we we improve the ability of the marketing uh message to be uh to be explained or we improve uh the allocation of resources within a team so it's it's about finding the next step which will give value as as quickly as possible yeah i mean that's one of the things that i really enjoy about advising startups is that process of kind of coming in not as an outsider necessarily but as sort of a disinterested advisor you know observer and just saying what you're doing is amazing and like now like you said now's the right time to start putting some procedures around it and having some operational excellence because that's going to give them the opportunity to grow right exactly so usually the process starts by talking with the entrepreneur and listening to the entrepreneur story what the what their journey what their vision or uh, what's happening. And based on that, I usually uh, find out that to back the story, these are the kind of data I would like to see. Then I can prove the story with data. And so I would ask them if they have it or not. And if they don't have it, that might be an angle that uh, we decide we want to dive in. It's like, yeah, you're right. I talking about this strategy, but I'm not sure it's happening. So please go uh, work with the team and extract this information, make it visible. So that's how we find the areas of interest in a way. So how do you decide who you're going to work with? In other words, I'm sure you get people coming to you all the time saying, I need your help with this, and I'd like you to advise me on that. But mm-hmm. like, what kind of traits are you looking for in, in the company itself, but also in the individuals or the teams that you're trying to help? Because there are some people that are you know, easier to help than others, and some people that are more fun to help than others for sure, right? Yeah, yeah, completely. Uh, usually, I would say I become friends with my clients because um, <laughs> it's fun to work together. We learn, uh, learn a lot. Um, so uh, great relationships uh, are built out of it. Um, I, I would say it, it's more based on the scope will change based on uh, on what we can do. Uh, so for some entrepreneur, it might just be a bit of uh, support for their fundraising, so they need to prepare a deck and how to show their traction. Uh, we let them make put their story in uh, in the best possible way. Uh, some will be more, um, and some might come from investors and investors telling the entrepreneur, "Okay, now we invested in your company. You need to update us. 
and the entrepreneur will come to me and say, actually, now I need to address these investors, but um, I don't really know how to do it, and I don't really have what they want, so we need to build it. So <laughs> we know we will have to build it, and, and the focus will be based on the priorities of the investor uh, to be able to answer the questions they will have. So we help the entrepreneur build a strong relationship with the investor to to show that the trust they got by getting all this money uh, is uh, is well deserved and they are growing the business in line with the plan. Yeah. So can I ask you about a specific company? Do you mind? I mean, you, you don't have to answer the question, but it's interesting to me because I I met a gentleman named Dave Sanderson back in 2013. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think he approached me at either Echelon or Tech Age, I cannot remember where actually. And we had a really good yeah. back and forth. I thought he was mm-hmm. a really good guy, but I didn't know back at that time like how mm-hmm. great a founder he was going to be. Yeah. I just didn't know. Uh, and I I understood the business, right? I understood that, you know, data was going to be important, that decision making inside companies was going to be important, and I missed this completely. And I just let it go. And I want to mm-hmm. understand what you saw that I missed, right? Cuz I'm not perfect, yeah. But I want to understand what you saw that I missed. Was it just because you were in Singapore that you got more interaction? Like, I'm really curious because, you know, Nugget is doing quite well. And that's great. I'm super. Every time I read news about it, I'm happy, right? But I want to know what I missed. Well, it it seems you you missed an opportunity as an angel or investor. If you didn't see the opportunity at the time, Yeah, I, did. I miss both. I miss both, <laughs> yeah. right? Because um, but, he, he wanted well, me to invest, which I did not do, and he also wanted advice, and I just wasn't sure how I could help, and I was wrong. And I, I'm, you know, I'm so, wrong. I'm human, so, right? yeah, but yeah. I want to know what I missed. So yeah, so you're mentioning Dave uh, Sanderson, founder of Nugget. Yeah. Uh, correct. Yeah. So it, it's an analytics uh, company and making turning data into stories for. Um, for marketing agencies, for example, and quite a few other clients. The story, um, the story is great where Dave was working in agencies and saw the need on, uh, from his company to better understand what was happening with the campaigns of the own clients and that it was very time consuming and expensive to generate all these insights. And he decided to turn it into a product. Uh, so a SaaS product, which now allows uh, the client to, to do in seconds what they used to do in uh, in days. <laughs> so super valuable product uh, with an entrepreneur who had an industry expertise from day one. And I guess that's, that's, uh, that's one profile that we, like there are different profiles. Sure. For me in question, I, I didn't know anything about travel industry before, except how to board a plane. Right, uh, exactly. <laughs> in some other case, the, uh, the entrepreneur has actual industry experience from day one, and it might allow to go much faster. And what he has been able to achieve in, uh, in just a few years uh, is quite amazing. When we see the, uh, the clients list they have, uh, then the ability to, uh, to get funding, like they, they raise um, uh, series A of uh, more than five million I saw with that. capital um, a few months ago. So quite uh, amazing journey. Um, yeah. yeah. So, like I said, uh, you know, this stuff never makes me mad. It just makes me happy to see entrepreneurs 
succeed at the level that Nugget is. And obviously, there's a long road ahead of them. But still, I like to talk about, when I talk about my sort of investment theses, I like to talk sometimes about things that I've made a mistake on because I think it's more informative to people. I could sit here, you could do the same and talk about you know all the successes, but that that to me is slightly boring. I like to find yeah. out what I missed, right? Because I want to make sure that it doesn't happen going yeah. forward, right? And that's why I asked the question, right? Yeah, you need to refine your principles, the rules for uh, which you operate with. Exactly. And I wrote, I wrote down what you said, actually, about um, Ray Dalio. And I've done some work on him, too. But I like this concept as well that he has. And I do it as well of yeah. what are your principles and how do they fit yeah. in, right? So when you do something, when it's time to make a decision, Right, mm -hmm. and most decisions are not black and white. They're not so binary in some cases, right? But what are your yeah. principles? Yeah, and you know, it brings also the the concept that even if you made the wrong decision, correct, you might not want to change your principle. You want to analyze, and if your principle is correct, you want to keep acting. Basically, this is, it's like playing poker. You want to play uh, consistently so the odds well, are with you over time. Correct. Yeah, correct. And so yeah. You you made a mistake, but your rationale might have been right. It's just that in your uh, rationale, in your decision-making process, you will miss some opportunities along the way. Correct. That will get uh, some others, which makes you successful at the end. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say, like, you can continuously change your principles the same way in poker. You can continuously change your strategy. But over time, statistically speaking, it's yeah. it's better on the margin, right, to maintain a consistent approach to things, unless information changes, right, or situations change drastically, because over time, statistically, you'll end up winning more than you're losing, and, and more than you're losing, and I think that's, I think that's an important thing to tell entrepreneurs yeah. as well, as, like you said, your principles may remove you from succeeding in certain situations, but those principles, if they're good, will yeah. in general lead to better decisions rather than worse decisions. You should update your principle for the actual mistake they, they include, but you should accept that even with your uh, principles, you will be wrong sometimes. That's just probabilities. Correct. Mm -hmm. And um, I think, uh, as we talked about um, like being open, one thing which might be interesting of uh, mentioning is that for the past few years, I'm doing this uh, advice to entrepreneurs uh, I say guiding them along their growth journey, so helping them do their business plan, do their financial planning, yep. do their executive dashboard, which allows them to make this decision and to update their investors and maintain strong relationship. Um, but on the way, I also kind of processed uh, feedback I was giving to entrepreneurs on one question which was coming a lot, so how do I raise home? So we mentioned some tips about creating this line and Managing the relationship with investor, uh, but one of the basic information is uh, who are the investors around. And I think you're doing some work in the area too with the podcast of Angel Investing. You uh, you're doing now. And I say I started the map of the money. I saw that. Uh, so so giving the entrepreneur giving entrepreneurs a list of who are the active investors in the in the region, which accelerates the process. Of contacting the right person at the right stage, so we um, uh, we we're doing it with Arnaud Bonzon. I know, uh, I know, Arnaud. Yeah. 
Yeah, has he been on, in, on your podcast already? No, he has not, but I will. What I wanted to do is I wanted to leave that for you as a referral. So if you can make a referral for him to me, that would be great because I'd love to. I mean, I've known him for four or five years. He used to come into the Art and Capital office back in the day. So I've known him for a oh, while. Oh, yeah. Sure. Awesome. Uh, so, so, yeah, we're doing that. And now when entrepreneurs ask, uh, ask us the question, uh, who should I contact? We give them this link and that's uh, one of the best listing um, and data source to find uh, VCs to talk to. Yeah. So super useful and it shows the scalability of transparency because it helps us full ecosystem. And we are receiving like so many messages of people who say that it saves them time, it helps them contact the right investor. Um, so I think that's pretty good reward for helping the community. Yeah, so I have another I have another idea for a map thing, which I'm happy to share. Um, map, yeah, tell me more about the map. <laughs> yeah, so because I think I think you know you you talked about something, and I hadn't heard it put into these terms, but I do like it, right? Like you're not a dot, you're a line, right? And in some cases, you have to connect those dots for people and create the lines so that they can see them. Whereas maybe you are thinking about things in such a way where you don't need someone to connect the dots for you, but they just naturally connect. And I think maps are really useful in that respect, right? So what I want to do is actually build a map. And this is not my idea. It's an idea that somebody was poking around with me um, and something that was done in Paris, which you may have seen, and something that was also done in Montreal. So I don't know why, what the French influence is, but I think there is some French influence from it. And that is just literally create a physical map of where startups are, what the startup sector is, what, you know, where the investors are, where the angel investors are, where all these people are. So you can see mm-hmm. their location. Yeah. So it's almost like, you know, if, yeah. if F locations or flocations was flight locations, I'm guessing, I don't know the yeah. de- derivative yeah. of the name, then mm-hmm. I want to have another business. I, I think I actually bought a website called startup map, mm-hmm. Asian startup awesome. map, yeah, Asia startup map. Awesome. And what I, want to, I want to populate that. I've already spoken to somebody about this, and he's actually French too, and I want him to be involved. But the, the idea yeah. is to just create a map of every startup and every financier and every investor and you know yeah. every co-working space and everything so people can actually see what the ecosystem looks like physically because I think that's interesting, actually. Yeah, yeah, it's very fun. Uh, Sometimes I'm thinking when, um, uh, when you're in sales in a company and you do travel, you... If you're going to be in a place, you should meet as many people in this place. Correct. Imagine if there would be the full uh, database of businesses in the world and you can match your potential leads with travel so you can decide where to travel based on the geographic with no, no boundaries. Right. Uh, super interesting. And this ecosystem uh, map, I think, uh, well, yeah, it's clearly... It has been done partly in the past. Uh, I think even Arno has some such uh, such presentation in some of his deck, I awesome. believe. Um, so, but yeah, the more visibility in the ecosystem, the better. I agree. Look, I've taken up a lot of your time today, and I really appreciate it. We didn't get to rant as much as maybe I would have liked to, <laughs> but it yeah, was... I, I know you want to cut the interview like really. Like, no, I don't. I, I don't want to stop <laughs> it. What, what I really want to do is I just want to say Bluetooth and see if I can get you to say something because I know you because uh, I know you don't like it uh, so much. Uh, well, let's see. I will walk five uh, five meters from no, don't my do computer. It. 
uh, and and then the interview will be over because no, Bluetooth do does not connect back. <laughs> but just so look, I I really want to let you go, but I really enjoyed this conversation, and I want to make sure that two things happen. One is you definitely make, you know, you make the recommendation to um or know that he does come on the show because I'd love to have him here. He has his own sort of unique points of view that I think are pretty useful. Obviously, he's made himself useful over the past five years, so that's not a unique opinion on my point. Um, but also that you'll come back. I'd love to check back with you in a few months and see like what are the things you're working on, how things are going, and stuff like that. So hopefully you'll do that for us. Yeah, for sure. I I'm expect to have quite a few interesting things in the coming months. Um, I'm basically working on uh, scaling uh, my activities to help entrepreneurs grow. So I'm going, uh, having more processes, automation, which allow to help uh, yeah. even more entrepreneurs for their access. You know, areas of activities being this business modeling, financial projection, how do you know the cash you need, the resources you need to achieve the revenue target you're setting. Very how important. do you set the right revenue, revenue targets, which are the variables which impact your revenue uh, targets? How do you find them? How do you combine them together? How do you understand them to do a plan which is uh, uh, aggressive uh, but unreasonable at the same time? How, how do all these numbers make sense in terms of unit economics. So how are your uh, ratios working uh, compared to your peers and compared to your industry? Does it match what you want to achieve? Uh, and once you have all of this, how do you communicate it internally to make sure everyone in your team is aware of what's happening and, uh, and able to make the best decision possible so you keep growing as fast as possible? Yeah, I mean, look, that stuff is really important, right? And most founders aren't going to be able to do that on their own, for sure. A little bit important, just a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so, so let me ask you this. So if I'm a founder of a company and I want to get in touch with you, right, if this, is, if this conversation is interesting to somebody who's a like how would they get in touch? What's the best I way to get? So. Like, now if they spend like 50 minutes listening to us because they love podcasts, I hope they, they find it entertaining at least. Oh, I'm sure they would. Believe me, I, I had probably more fun than you did, but you got to rant more than I did. So that's why we got to come back and do it again. Uh, and then they can uh, find me. So Florian Cornu on Google. I like there is this website named Google. It's pretty awesome. You can find quite a few things. Uh, and uh, otherwise on uh, futureflow.io. Uh, which will show you uh, my main activities and how I can help their business. So futureflow.io. Okay. Look, this has been really fun for me, and I really just want to thank you very much for uh, taking the time to do this. So, Florian, thank you so much. Thank you for doing your podcast and getting uh, getting uh, interesting conversation while doing it. It's my pleasure, and hopefully this changes your mind a little bit, and maybe you'll listen to other podcasts as well. <laughs> Maybe, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you so much, Florian. Awesome, have a good day. You've been listening to Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at www.asiatechpodcast.com.